For church, how we doing? Ooh, coming in hot this morning. Hey, uh, any of you guys noticed the playground when you walked up? How about that? Yeah. First off, you guys, I, she's not in here because she's teaching a class, but I want you guys, if you all know Miss Barbie Ross, she's our building admin. She coordinated the whole thing. She worked her tail off making this thing happen. Would you all give it up for her? Thank her. And if you see her... You make sure you thank her. And if you see any, any guys walking around, guys or gals walking around today that look kind of like this, you just say thank you because they're hurting today, all right? Last two weeks, man, people have been working their butts off to make that thing happen. First thing, I see kids sprinting to the playground this morning. It is beautiful. You guys, you're building it for our children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Last night, I got home uh, from working on it about seven or so, whatever it was. The boys came running up. And I have a three-year-old, Judah, and they both just tackled me. Dad, is it done? Is it finished? Is it done? So yeah, Judah said, tomorrow we get to church, I will go there. And I'm like, that's right. Like, it was just, it was, it was an intensity of, like, I'm not even going to stop you. You go, son. Like, sometimes your kids just get a look in their eyes, and you know, I, all right, yes, sir, you win, right? I'm, I'm the parent, but I'm not winning this, right? And of course, we parked, and they, it was awesome. So thank you so much to everybody who helped coordinated worked i know you're sore i know you're tired but that is going to pay dividends and our kids are going to be forever thank forever thankful for that so um as we head in to easter season our easter series uh we're starting a new series today called the miracle of jesus uh the miracle of jesus and it's we're really going to talk about this idea um about why is it that we get so excited about easter like, why is it that we as Christians, that we as the church, why do we care so much about Easter? And I know you say, well, duh, the resurrection, Mike, it's easy, obvious, right? But really, if we think about it, uh, maybe we need to explore it a little bit more so we can understand why this is such a big deal. Why do we do the Easter egg hunts? Why do we dress up? And I mean, I might wear a jacket on Easter. Probably not, but I might, right? Like, I tried to wear one for our Christmas uh, service, and I took it off. I'm like, I just can't, can't do it, can't do it, right? But I might. It's Easter, right? It's a special day, right? Um, and it's a special day for many reasons, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks of our series. And so as I begin to think about why do we care so much about Easter, why is it that we put so much energy into Easter, it, it really— it got me kind of the wheels turning, and maybe if you know how this is, one train of thought causes another one to happen, causes another one to happen, and it, and it made me start to turn and begin to think about why is it in the first place, or, or why is it that, that we even go to church, right? So not just why Easter, but why is church such a big deal? Why is our Sunday such a big deal? Why is gathering here to worship such a big deal? And if you're a pastor, when you begin to think about those things, it's dangerous, isn't it? Right, yeah, you're like, you're like, of all the people that knows why we do this, it should be the pastor, right? And so I begin to think about and process, like, why is it? Now, not, not, not just, not so much why do we gather, but why do people go to church? Okay, so not just, not, not why do we have Sunday morning service, but what is it that makes a person wake up and say, you know what? Like Judah said, I'm going to go there, right? Why? Amen. Hey, man, you got to let me finish. I had a point. I was going to work my way there. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Let's go. But amen, right? Amen. So I have a friend named Lee Powell. Some of you guys know him. He was a—ooh, I almost fell off the stage. Uh, 
he's a mentor. He's a friend. He helped us out a lot at the church here uh, several years ago. He also planted a church up in uh, Toledo, Ohio, and did fantastic. And he wrote a book uh, several years ago, and so I read it. Um, and when in his book, he, he began to research and try to understand what makes a person go to church. Like, like why, if you, you haven't been going to church before— Right? Maybe you hadn't been going, or you stopped going for a long time, or you, maybe you went as a kid, but then you said, he said, he began to do research and try to understand why is it, or what is it, that makes a person decide, I haven't been going to church, now I think I will. And so he came up with, based on his research, three reasons why he believes that people start going to church. And to your surprise, that first reason wasn't always Jesus. Here are the three things he said. The first reason he said makes somebody start going to church that he discovered was there is something new in their life. Something new. Meaning they moved to a new city and needed to find a new church. How many of us is that in here today? There's a lot of us here, right? Moved to Texas or moved to a new area. We said, hey, I need to, need to find a new church. Maybe you had a new kiddo and you went, you know what? We haven't been going to church. Let's get that, let's get that kid in church. Let's get that child. We want, it, we want our family. You got married, and you said, hey, we're going to get married. We want to start this marriage on the right foot. Let's start going to church. Let's get ourselves in church, right? The second reason that Lee said he believes that people start going to church is, first, is there something new in their life? Number two, is there something missing from their life? They're, they're looking around, they begin to feel like there's something I don't have. Maybe it's friendships or relationships or connections, and they start going, there's something. I can't, can't put my finger on it, but something feels like it's missing. I'm trying all these other things. It's not working out. Maybe I'll try church. And then the third reason that Lee said uh, he believes, after doing his research, that people begin going to church. Number one is something new. Number two is something missing. Number three is there is something broken in their lives. And you're nodding your heads because you know it's true, don't we? We're nodding our heads because we know it's true. There's a tragedy. They lost someone they love, and they go, I don't have the answers. Maybe I'll go and see if I can find them. So they, somebody got sick, and they go, I don't know what to do. Maybe we can, right? A divorce happens. Their life feels like it's fall. I don't know what to do. Maybe we need to go to church. Something has happened in your life. Maybe you know, maybe you're resonating with this because you're like, that's me, man. That's me. And something happened. There's brokenness in our lives. And we go, I need to get to church. Whatever it is, we don't understand it. We don't get it. Like, I don't know what it is that makes a person go, maybe I'll try church, right? Jesus, right? But there's something within our soul that says there's something missing. There's something new. There's something broken. I need to get to church and see if I can find the answer, find healing, find hope. And I think we probably resonate with every single one of these things. Times when we look at our lives, there's something new, and we say, God, I need you to guide me through this newness. Sometimes when there's something missing, we go, I need to seek Jesus and find, find healing for this thing that feels like it's missing or the, or the brokenness. Now, brokenness, man, that is something that we resonate more deeply than we know, isn't it? I tell you, you can look around your world, and you can know that it's broken in many ways, but I'll give you a quick story that will just reveal to you the uttermost brokenness of our world. A couple years ago, we were on our back porch, and Katie came out, and she was just having a terrible day. Anybody ever had a bad day? Yeah, yeah uh-huh, right. Yeah, like this week, bad, try bad year, Mike, right? She was just having a bad day, and it was one of those just bad. She came out, and she's just crying on my shoulder, and she just, 
just having a hard time. And so I'm trying to be a, a loving husband. I'm listening. I'm talking. Say, oh, it's going to be okay. And we, as I talk to her, I begin to comfort her, and my words begin to comfort her, and she begins to feel better, and it's kind of, all right, we're hitting a turning point. And then our son Judah, who was about one and a half at the time, comes walking up in the backyard, and he takes his diaper off, and he pees all over her shoes as she's sitting there. Y'all thought that story was going to be real sappy, right? And then you're like, if that doesn't illustrate the brokenness of our world, I don't know what does. You finally start, you fill in the corner, you're turning the corner, you're starting to feel better, life is getting, and then somebody comes and just pees all over your feet, right? Like, that's just, that is an analogy for life right there. But we feel it, we see it, we know it. The brokenness of our world, we feel it when we see war. We feel it when we see broken relationships. We feel it when we see crime. We feel it in the way that we see people just treat one another. We feel it uh, uh, when we see someone get sick or die. We feel it even in the wars that rage within our own hearts. The brokenness of our world, the brokenness of the human experience. We feel it, we know it, we see it, we experience it. And after a while, it leaves us feeling hopeless. And when we experience the brokenness of our world in its most brutal forms, we, we, we begin to feel broken. We begin to lose hope. <clears throat> we begin to look for hope somewhere. And so we search and seek and try to find it in so many different places, right? If we go back, we did a whole series to the book of Ecclesiastes, and that was a study on a man trying to find hope. We try to fill it with so We say, all right, I feel the brokenness of this world. Maybe I can fix it if I work a little bit harder. Maybe I can fix the brokenness I feel within me if I buy some more stuff. Maybe I can fix the brokenness I feel within me if I get a new spouse. They didn't work. Let's try a new one. They didn't work. Let's try a new one, right? We feel it over and over. Maybe my job sucks. Like maybe if I get a new job, maybe that'll fix the brokenness that I feel within me. Maybe that's the problem. We try thing after thing after thing after thing after thing because we know the brokenness we feel within us and we try new thing and new thing and new thing and each one doesn't work and so we keep looking for a new one and eventually we say let's try church praise god amen i'm glad you're here I'm glad your life stinks enough that you showed up here <laughs> and church is a great place to find hope Sometimes, sometimes the problem is, is you go to church and you're feeling the brokenness and then they preach 10 steps on how to have a better life. And so you take those 10 steps or 10 steps on how to have a better marriage or 10 steps to fix your finances. And I say that because we just did a marriage series and we just did a finance series, amen? And then you try out the steps and you do the steps and you do the things and you do the all right 10 steps to a better life and i did every one of them perfectly and i did every one of them just right and i did all the steps just like the preacher said to do them but i still feel broken i must be really jacked up like everybody else is good you're this one that screwed up right you god can't fix you right you try the steps and you try to do them right and you try to line it up just like you're supposed to and you don't feel better and you're going why 
I mean, doesn't the Bible talk about ways that we can live to have a better life? Doesn't God talk about ways in our marriage we should live so that we have a better marriage? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. The Bible, as you study the word, uh, God's word, there's ways in there that he says, this is how I created you to live. If you live this way, things will tend to be better for you. Things will tend to be better for you. But if that's all we're looking for when we come to the scriptures, if that's all we're looking for when we come to church is a better life or a better you, you won't find the answer to your brokenness. Why? Because that brokenness is ingrained in your soul and ain't no 10 steps going to fix that. There's no quick fix. At least no quick fix that originates from you Think, think about it. That brokenness that is within us goes all the way back to the dawn of creation. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he walks through all the beautiful things, the sky and the water, and he separated the heavens and the earth and the created vegetation and the plants and the trees, sun, moon, stars, animals, and all the creatures of the earth. And then the Bible says he created man in his own image. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm just going to say 27. He says, so God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. I'm going to skip to uh, 131 it says so he creates everything it says God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed you like that not just good he looked at you he created you and he goes it is very good amen some of us look in the mirror and we go it is very good right some of us go it used to be very good my favorite part of the creation story by the way is when God introduces Adam and, or Eve to Adam. You know that part? It's the best part of the whole creation story because at that point, Adam's walking around and he's, I mentioned this in our Song of Solomon series that we just did, but he's walking around. He's, God told him to go name the animals. He's like goat, sheep, donkey, right? Cow, lion, tiger, bear. Oh my, right? Like he's doing it. And then he falls asleep. God creates Eve. He wakes up and Adam starts singing. You see that? Look at that. At Genesis 22 through uh, 24, he sa- he's walking around. He says, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The one called woman, for she was taken from man. He sees Eve and he starts singing, right? That's the way it should be, man. You see your woman and you should start singing, amen? And then it says in verse 24, it says, this is why. He says, this is, I'm going to chase after you, girl. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they became one flesh. And here's what I want you to see in verse 25. It says, both the man and his wife were naked. Not that part. Calm down. Right? We just finished Song of Songs. Both the man and his wife were naked. This last part. Yet felt no shame. Amen. No shame. The nakedness is important there because it speaks to the purity of the world that they're walking and the purity of the world that they're living in. They're naked and they don't feel any shame. You know why? Because they lived in a world without it. They lived in a world without brokenness. They lived in a world that was good. It was pure. It was holy. It was held. There was no shame. There was no brokenness. There was no emptiness. There was nothing missing. Everything was as it should be. It was man. It was woman in perfect relationship with one another and perfect relationship with God. It was very good. And they walk in the garden and they talk with God and they commune with God. There's no pain, no suffering, no war. All needs met. All people equal. The relationship with God, perfect. And it was very good. And God gives them one rule. 
you had one job, right? One job. He says, don't eat from that tree over there. And then the devil enters the scene. You know the story. The one from the beginning of time, his job is to come and create separation between you and God. So they're walking in pureness, goodness, holiness, perfect relationship with God. It was beautiful. There's no brokenness. There's nothing missing. The devil enters the scene and he tempts them. Look at Genesis 3, 3 through 6. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. By the way, River Church, this isn't really a point in my sermon, but I want you to know one of the first things that the devil does to mess up your life, mess up your relationship with God, is to make you doubt his word to you. Hear that? One of the first things the devil does to mess up your relationship with God is to make you doubt his word. He says in verse 2, the, man, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the tree the we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, 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 no. Verse four, no, you will certainly not die. Some of us have talked to people like this, haven't we? The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. A second trick of the devil is to twist God's words to you, to confuse you so that you don't understand what God's trying to say to you. Amen? The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And so she took some of its fruits and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam, standing there, you moron. Come on. And he ate it. Yeah. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Eve chooses to disobey God here. Because this is the part where a lot of pastors walk in and go, Adam, now, now, I know we blame Eve, but Adam was right there. He should have said something. He should have done something. He failed her, and he did. But don't you dare take away Eve's personal responsibility here. She's responsible for herself. She made her choice, and she chose to sin. Taking, taking responsibility for our actions is something that humans have struggled with since the dawn of time. It's not my fault. How dare you? Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They both ate, and they knew they were naked. Shame has entered the garden. Brokenness has entered the garden. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. They realized they were naked. They say, oh my goodness, shame, brokenness, guilt. We got to cover up. We got to fix this. You see the pattern? We got to do something here. We got to fix this. And when sin happens, shame happens immediately. Guilt, shame, death, the consequence of our sin. You could call that brokenness. And by the way, that's the same guilt, that's the same shame, that's the same brokenness that some of us and many of us, all of us, walk through and live in today. It's the same type of stuff that we carry with us today. And then God enters the conversation. Genesis 3, 8 through 12, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, so they sin. They realize their brokenness, shame, guilt has entered the garden. They try to fix it themselves, what they can't. 
They try to fix it. They hear God walking in the garden, and they hide. And think about this. To this point, the sound of God walking in the garden is a beautiful sound, isn't it? You hear the Lord walking in the garden. You're going, God's here. Let's go meet him. Let's go talk with him. Let's go hang out. Sin enters. Now the sound of God coming is a scary sound. And that had nothing to do with God, amen? That had everything to do with them. That's the same thing we experience today. We sin, we mess up, we screw it up, we fall away, we hear the voice of the Lord, we hear the word of the Lord, and all of a sudden it's not a good, comforting, kind voice anymore. We make it a scary, evil, wicked voice, and we go, I gotta get away from that. That's on us, that has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with God. Suddenly they're afraid of God. It says, so the Lord, verse nine, so the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then he said, God said, who told you you were naked? That is one of the saddest lines in all of Scripture. Did you eat from the fruit of the trees that I commanded you not to eat? And the woman replied, or excuse me, the man replied, Adam, you idiot. The the man replied, the woman. The woman you gave me she gave me some fruit of the tree and i I ate it the greatest gift outside of salvation god ever gave to man was woman and the first thing that adam does is blame her and then god you moron adam's like i just thought it was an apple god i don't know i don't know she she gave me an apple i trusted her right That's still us, isn't it? Still us. Not my fault. God is probably, this is, God, this one's probably on you if we're honest about it, right? To this day, we have such a hard time taking responsibility for our actions. By the way, this is how I feel about the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones. Side note, Jerry, the owner, needs to fire Jerry, the general manager. Can I get an amen? I'm just kidding. Don't amen that. You can't amen that in church. That's sacrilegious. It's true. (laughs) Adam sins. Eve sins. Guilt, shame, brokenness is not only their story, but now it's our story. That's why... That's why you can't fix brokenness with a Band-Aid, man. That's why you can't fix that brokenness by getting a new job. It's why you can't fix that brokenness by getting a new spouse. It's why you can't fix that brokenness by making more money or, or whatever the list of things that you try. It's why you can't fix that brokenness by going to church and just trying to do the 10 steps on a new you and new life and think that's going to fix it. Because this 10 steps, that's not how you, that's not how you become a new creation. That's that's not how you fix your soul. That's not how you redeem your soul. That's not how you heal your soul. It's it's not any of those things, right? And you might say, well, what did they they do that was so bad? They ate some fruit. Well, some theologians, and I'm not going to go into all of it because we don't have time, but some theologians think it's pride. C.S. Lewis said it was pride uh, specifically because it was the pride of man and woman saying, I want to be like God. I want to be like God. So when the serpent said, you won't die, you'll be like God. They said, well, I want to be like God. They said, that's that's." The biggest idea is that it was our pride that caused us to sin. But if you just want to get down to the brass tacks, the reason why it was so bad is because God said not to and they did. At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. It's really what it comes down to. And from this moment on, 
the relationship where you hear God, God walking in the garden and it's a beautiful sound, now is a scary sound. The relationship with God and mankind is now broken. It's broken. It's broken. The consequence of our sin, their sin, was many things. Number one, they had to leave the garden. God comes to the woman and he says, now from now on you're going to experience labor pains and childbirth. And all the women said, thanks Eve, right? An interesting one there too is she said, he, she will desire her husband and he will rule over her. That's an interesting one that will take a lot to unpack. We don't have time for it today. To the man, he said, the ground will be cursed and you're going to have to work that ground. And all the guys who are out there building the playground yesterday, we're feeling that curse today, aren't we? Right? You're feeling it saying you're going to labor and you're going to strive and you're going to work and that work will never be enough. And you till that ground, well, guess what? There's more ground to till tomorrow. You till that ground tomorrow, guess what? Next day, there's going to be more ground to till. It's never enough. And that's part of the curse. They both, God says, will now experience death. And that's why death feels so, so foreign to us because it's not, it was never intended for us. You see that? When God creates the human soul, he doesn't create it to die. He creates it to live forever. And that's why death is so unnatural. And it's why someone can live to 102 and they die. And what do we say? Gone too soon. Because it is. When you're supposed to live forever, 102 is way too soon. Amen? It's way too soon. It's why death feels so unnatural. Because it was never intended for us. And ultimately, and most importantly, they lose their intimate relationship with God. Mankind was created to commune with God, walk with God, know God deeply and intimately, to have a, a relationship like a father and daughter, a father and son, and now with sin that is taken from mankind. It's broken. And the only way to redeem that sin is to pay the price for that sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And now they will die both spiritually and physically. Creation has been distorted. Sin has entered the equation. And now we carry that brokenness with us because of their sin, but also because of our sin. We feel the consequences, the weight, the shame that comes along with it. We feel the brokenness of our soul and in our hope in that moment and in every moment when we experience sin in our own lives, hope was lost. It's over. You say, why do I feel brokenness? That's why. And ever since, mankind has been trying to figure out a way to fix it. Billionaires create magic pills that will make them live forever. Say, so how do I know? Because I'm researching them, man. I want to go as long as I can, right? So far, I'm 100 for 100. Haven't died yet. Doing pretty well. We pour ourselves into work thinking that'll fix it. We get a spouse and then another one and another one and another one. We fight about politics. Don't want to hurt your feelings, but we fight about politics going, if America just had the right president, it would be fixed. No, it wouldn't. Only three amens on that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, easy now. Easy now. And we go to church thinking if I could get those five steps, I could just get them right. If I could, here's why I'm harping on the 10-step program here. Because what that becomes is legalism. What that becomes is if I can just work hard enough, I can fix it. You can't fix it. You say, well, then why are we here, Mike? I don't know. Football season's over? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. 
Hey. We're here because there was one who was promised. One who was promised, catch this, the very same moment that God tells mankind the consequences of their sin, he promises them Jesus. Did you know that? He tells the devil, he says in the very conversation, he tells the devil in Genesis 3, 13 through 15, uh, I'm going to start in 14, he says to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. Uh, You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between her offspring and her offspring. And then God changes the language, and he says, and he will strike your head. And you will strike his heel. He will strike. He said to Satan, you're going to strike his heel. And it's going to hurt for about three days. And the one who is promised is going to rise up and he's going to crush you like the filthy little animal that you are. You say, who's the one he's talking about? It's Jesus. He's the same one that God prophesied about when he spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, when he said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What's he talking about? The lineage of Abraham says through your lineage, Jesus is going to come, and the entire world is going to be blessed because of it. He's the same one that God promises when he tells David in 2 Samuel 7, when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I, I will establish his kingdom, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. He's the one God's talking about in Isaiah 7, 14, when he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See the virgin purity will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Once again, you'll have a God that walks with you and talks with you, that you can commune with, that you can know, that you can have an intimate relationship. Once again, God with us. He's the same one promised in Isaiah 61.1 where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Who's the poor? We're the poor. To bring good news to the poor who has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Who's the brokenhearted? You're the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Who's the captive? Freedom to the prisoners. Who are the prisoners? We are the captives. We are the prisoners. Captive by our sin. Our sin. Nobody else's. Our sin. And yet Jesus comes to set us free. Amen. Isaiah 25, 7 and 8. He's the one who has promised that God said on this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud and the shroud over all the peoples and the sheet covering all the nations when he has swallowed up death once and for all. Amen. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace. That disgrace is our sin and we have one prophesied who will come and remove our disgrace. The Lord has spoken. I love that. It ends with the Lord has spoken. And that's a word we can trust. Amen. He came to conquer death, wipe away our tears, remove our disgrace, or as we like to say, conquer sin, shame, hell, death, and the grave forever and ever. Amen.
from the moment sin enters our world, death enters our world, brokenness enters our world. But there is a thread, if you read it, there is a thread through the entire Old Testament that is screaming to you, Jesus is coming, hope is coming. Don't you dare give up because he's coming for you. Amen? He's promised that the one who would come and fix that brokenness, the one who could fix that brokenness is on his way. He will come. He will come for you. And then he does. He's born as a baby. He lives a sinless life. He finds some disciples, some just ruggedy old raggedy guys. He's like, oh, come with me. We'll fix you. He does. He looks at people that the world said was broken, people the world said is worthless, people the world said doesn't matter, and he heals them. He redeems them. He loves them. And then he reveals to you and me the character and the heart of the God we serve. How beautiful is that? And then he goes to the cross and he dies to fix what was broken because the wages of sin is death, but God comes to pay the price for our sin, come to redeem mankind, to bring hope again. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We were dead in our sin, broken, hope, lost hope, lost hope. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Though we were dead, you are saved by grace. Or maybe I should say, you can be saved by grace. You can. You can. See, the reason why we feel brokenness is because the world is broken. I'm not going to come, you go come in here, I'm not going to lie to you. The world's broken. But your 10 steps won't fix it. Making more money won't fix it. Whatever present ain't going to fix it. And even going to church, this is dangerous for a pastor to say now, but even going to church won't fix it. It won't. Because what will happen is you'll get really good at being good and think you're doing great but you can't fix it only Jesus can fix it through his death and resurrection for paying the price for your sin so that once again they're having fun in there aren't they so that once again you can have a relationship with God because the brokenness that we feel it's not a bigger house that you're missing. It's not a different job. It's, it's the sin that we live with and walk with. It's the, it's the consequences of our sin. It's the separation from God. It's being stripped away and kept from living the way you were designed to live, the way you were created to live in communion with God. You, you were designed to live in relationship with God. God. And so that Easter morning, the reason why Easter is such a big, stinking deal is because that Easter morning, God came himself and created a way for that brokenness to be healed and fixed forever. And so today, River Church, man, that's the miracle of Jesus. It's knowing him, loving him, following him. And then when you know Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, when you have a relationship with Jesus, then we take this thing, this Bible, and we go, okay, Jesus, I know you. How did you create me to live? 
How did you design me to live? How do you want me to love my spouse? How do you want me to to treat my money? How do you want me to work my job? How do you want me to treat other people? That's when all the other stuff comes into play, you see? But if we try to do the other stuff before we know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords as our Savior, the other stuff is just junk. And it doesn't work. And then you get mad and you go, well, church doesn't work either. But it does, but only because it's Jesus. It's Jesus coming to heal our brokenness, to bring hope to the world. He is hope, he is forgiveness, he is life, and he loves you, and he came for you. He is pursuing you even in this moment. You hear me? Wherever you are, he's pursuing you even in this moment because he loves you, he wants you, he cares for you, he desires your heart. Amen? Stand with me, River Church. Today, if what we're talking about here is resonating in you, I want you to know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. At least he's definitely the first step you need to take. And my challenge for us today is wherever you are, maybe you're like, I know Jesus, but I'm still walking in brokenness. Well, then you need to seek him deeper. And we'll talk next week about how God, how Jesus transforms lives. We're going to look at some of the disciples. We're going to go, oh my goodness, if God can do it with them, he can surely help me. And we'll talk about that, okay? But today, wherever you are, my, my, my call to you is that you would respond to Jesus. I literally, as I was sitting there on my chair this morning worshiping, I just felt like this message is for you. And you say, who's he talking to? You. Me? Yes, you. 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 Because I, I feel like sometimes we lose that, that truth. We feel the brokenness. and we, Even though we may know Jesus, we try to fix it in all these different ways that don't work. And so maybe, maybe the way you need to respond to Jesus today is salvation. Maybe you need to, for the first time, Give your life to Jesus and say, I'm, uh, it's you, I'm, I'm, God, would you, for, you need to pray a prayer, you need to come down to the altar, whatever it is, you need to talk to Jesus and say, God, I want you to be the king of my life, the Lord of my life, I want to follow you with my life, would you be my savior, forgive me of my sins, and fix the brokenness within me. It's easy as that conversation, right there. You have it with the Lord right now. You talk to the Lord right now, and let him save your soul, redeem you, and go to work in you, Amen. Maybe you need to respond in a different way. Maybe you're walking in that brokenness and you need to come down to these altars and you need to pray and you need to talk to Jesus and you say, God, I need you. The answer is you alone. Speak to me, minister to me, walk with me, reveal yourself to me. Like whatever that is, you need to have that conversation, have it, amen? Have it. Maybe maybe your response today needs to just be worship. Well, the band's gonna come out and guess what? Worship. Respond to him uh, in thanksgiving for what he has done for you. That you were once broken, that you were once hopeless, that you once walked in sin, but by the grace of God, you don't have to do that anymore. Respond to him, worship him, and then we'll have these guys in the back. They're gonna pass out communion. If you would like to take communion where we praise Jesus and thank God, it's communion is, is, is Jesus telling the world, I'm gonna be broken for you. I'm gonna pour out my blood for you. And communion is us taking that and drinking the juice and eating the cracker and worshiping God and remembering what he has done for us. Maybe that's how you need to respond today.
But whatever you need to do, respond to nothing else but Jesus. Amen? Let's pray and then respond. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the goodness of the Savior. God, I know that this message today is for us. It's for all of us. Would you speak to us? Would you heal us? Would you work in us? Would you reveal yourself to us, Jesus? I pray that we would be brave enough to respond to you today. That we would be brave enough to respond to you, God. Even in this moment, prick our hearts. Speak to us. Convict us. Holy Spirit, work in us and call us that we may be brave enough to respond. Your grace is good and you are rich in mercy, God. It's in Christ's name. And everybody said,